Our passage today deals with a woman who had a sketchy past, a woman who was known to be a prostitute. And I just think it's so beautiful what God does to redeem stories of people. And we're going to see something of that in today's passage. Before I get into that, uh, there's a story in the mid-1800s of a man who lived in a village in India. He was a Hindu man by upbringing, but he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he led his family to faith in Jesus. And his faith became very real when the village chief opposed this newfound faith he had. And as the story tells us, we don't know the exact details of it, but something to the effect of this, that the chief came to him and told him to renounce his faith. And this man, who had previously been a Hindu man, told the chief, I have decided to follow Jesus. They continued to press him and threaten him. And he said, hey, Though no one join me, still I'm going to follow Jesus. And then they threatened to kill his wife and children. And the man sang the cross before me, the world behind me. And the story tells us, of course, that's where that great, simple chorus, that hymn, if you will, was formed. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What does it take for someone like you and someone like me to have a kind of faith that leads into some really extraordinary decisions? A kind of faith that makes us decide to do and say things to honor our God when everything is on the line. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith God wants all of us to have. The kind of faith that says, God, I'm all in. I'm all in no matter what. God, I'm all in no matter what happens to me, even to those I love. And to this day, there are brothers and sisters, people who follow Jesus throughout our world who have skin in the game. That they know that if their faith is made known or if someone catches them sharing their faith with someone, this could be their last day. And yet they proceed because they're all in. Family. That's what God wants for all of us. A kind of unshakable faith that can look death in the eye and say, I will follow Jesus no matter what. In our own culture, we have different costs that we might incur by following Jesus. It may not be death, but it might be threats. It might be reputation. It might be a paycheck. It, it might be a standing with friends, a, so, a certain social club acceptance from family. There are things that we all have on our line if we stand firm and follow Jesus boldly. See, strong and courageous faith says, I'm all in. I mean, I want us to understand this. The validity of your faith is demonstrated by the activity of your faith. The validity of your faith is demonstrated by the activity of your faith. We can say we believe, but if our belief doesn't transform into action, do we really believe in such a way that God wants? You want to know how valid your faith is, see how active it is. James tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. That means faith that works is genuine. We don't earn God's love by good works. God has given us his love free. And he's called us to believe and put faith in Jesus. This good news is freely offered to us. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? 
But it's the kind of good news then that inspires action. And if you've been transformed by this good news, you can't help but say, God, I'm all in. Today we're going to look at a story of someone, an unlikely hero in this story, who had that kind of transforming faith. And she said, God, I'm all in. And she demonstrated the validity of her faith by the activity of her faith. Would you join me in the book of Joshua, chapter 1 in the scriptures? The first five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're all written by Moses. And then the sixth book of the Bible is Joshua. So you're going to meet me in the beginning of the Bible, the book of Joshua. If you're at Deuteronomy, it's the next book over. Last week we started this series. We've titled it, Let the Walls Fall. We know the story of Jericho, or maybe you've heard of it, and we'll learn about it in about three weeks from now. But really, it's a literal story that has figurative implications of different things that causes barriers in our faith in following Jesus. And that's what God wants for us. You may be here today, and you are not a follower of Jesus, and there are all kinds of walls in your life that maybe are preventing you from raising your white flag and saying, God, I surrender. I'm I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. And God just wants you to raise that white flag, wave that thing, Watch him tear down the walls, give you faith and eternal life. And so last week we saw that in this story of the book of Joshua, God called a man named Joshua to be the successor of the great leader Moses. And Joshua had every reason to be terrified to be the successor. God tells Joshua, I want you to enter into what I've called the promised land, the land of Canaan, and I'm going to cause you and my people to take possession of the land And Joshua knew that in that land there were giants. In that land there were fortified cities. In that land there were great warriors. And here Joshua leading nomadic people who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years without a home. And he's supposed to call those people to conquer warriors. And uh, Joshua is afraid. And God tells him, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous because I am giving you my promise. I am giving you my protection. I am giving you my presence. You've just got to walk by faith. And so we come to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua has put his chips all in. He said, I'm God, I'm I'm doing this. And in Joshua chapter 2, he steps forward. God had yet to give him battle plans other than follow me. And in Joshua chapter 2, we see Joshua take some action. Now, I'm going to have you guys rise to your feet once again, if you're able to, uh, for the reading of, the, of God's word. I'm going to read the first three verses, and I want you guys to read verses 4 through 7 with me, okay? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is what God's word tells us. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly. Can you say secretly? Secretly, secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Let's read this together. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Truth. 
and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Father in heaven, we come before you, and I pray, God, that you would speak through me with power, with passion and persuasion, God. Lord, I ask that you would move in each of our hearts, God. Lord, we know there's no power on my lips apart from your scriptures. So give us ears to hear, God, we pray. Give us eyes to see what you want us to do. Lord, I pray for every child of God in this room, God. God, would you raise up faith, Lord? God, help us be counter-cultural, God. God, help us rock this city, rock this world for your glory, God. God, help us say we are all in, God. May our faith be validated by its activity, God. And so, Lord, I pray you do this. And for those who are here today who don't know Jesus Christ, who have yet to put their faith in him and ask for your forgiveness and live for you, God, I pray that you would do something in their hearts and draw them to you so sweetly as you've wooed all who are your children. God, be glorified in our midst. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I love this, this, this narrative, man. And as we were singing, I just was so moved as I was thinking about the implications of this for our lives. I just pray that we leave today so, so encouraged, family. All right? The story opens up with Joshua putting out two spies to go into this land of Jericho. He sends them out secretly. You notice that word in verse 1. He sent two men secretly. I was thinking about why, why be secretive, Joshua, and I couldn't help but think, well, last time they sent spies, it turned out pretty bad. Last time when Moses was still alive, he sent 12 spies into this land, and they came back saying, man, that land, it has it going on. They've got fruit that's huge. It's flowing with milk and honey, and people are like, this is good stuff. And I behold up, there are the sons of Anak, Anakim, that live there. And if we knew our history, we'd know that the sons of Anak were giants. Goliath was a son of Anak. Imagine an army of Goliaths, and the people came back and said, we can't do this. And in fact, it says that the people's hearts melted. That's the word they use. They melted like wax at the thought of going into the land. Joshua was one of those 12 spies, and he was the one saying, no, we could do this. Him and Caleb were there. We could do this. But the other 10 had louder voices, and isn't it the way it happens often? 10 people with a loud voice not the truth, can overcome sometimes too with the truth. And that's what happened. And the people of Israel complained and grumbled. And God says, I'm going to have you wander in this wilderness for 40 years because you didn't trust me and take me in my word. And fast forward to Joshua's life. He sends two, two spies secretly. He's like, we're not ruining this, guys. We're sending two of them secretly. And he says, check out the land, especially where? Where? Jericho. Jericho was an important city. It was a fortified city. It was the kind of city the people of Israel, under normal circumstances, have no business trying to attack. This city was, if you will, the gateway to the land of Canaan. If you can get through this, you will have the leverage over the rest of the land. And so Joshua says, pay special attention to the land of Jericho when you go in as spies. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking... Why, why is Joshua telling them to scope out the land? Is Joshua afraid? Is he failing to be strong and courageous? Is Joshua second-guessing God's word? And some people would think that. They said, you know, he's trying to get some more confidence by sending the spies, and I don't think that's the case. See, what I think Joshua is doing here is he's teaching us a very important lesson. That when God says, wait on me, he doesn't mean wait and do nothing. 
When God gives us instruction, it's not to say, well, let me put my hands underneath my legs and let's sit down and wait around till we get more instruction. God's saying, let your faith be active. Joshua knew that land was going to be given to him, but he says, we must be active here. Inactivity is not the product of faith. It's the enemy of faith. Vibrant faith produces a vibrant weight. I think of the book of Acts chapter 2 when, God, when Jesus ascends into heaven. He tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the right time. And they waited in Jerusalem, but they didn't wait doing nothing. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed fervently, 120 of them, until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out. Then the Spirit said, go. But they didn't wait doing nothing. And sometimes we say we're waiting on God, but we're doing nothing. Can't say I'm waiting for God to provide that job if you ain't filling out applications. And all of life operates this way. God says wait, but as you wait, do, and as you do, pray. We need God's direction, but he's given us plenty in his scriptures. A lot of times we're waiting for answers he's already given us. That's why he tells Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on a day and night. So as you go, obey what you know. That's what God's telling us. And so Joshua does that. He goes and tells these two spies to go into Jericho. But then there's a quick crisis in the story. It tells us here in verse 2, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. This is an unlikely person in this very unlikely story. Of all places to stay, spies, really? Well, again, what we do know and we don't know is here in the text. We do know Rahab's a prostitute. We don't know if she's still practicing or if this is just her reputation. We don't know the circumstances that led her into prostitution. But what we do know is that her reputation was one of a prostitute. And in that culture, as well as ours, that's a negative connotation. We see God has a heart, though, for the broken. And here they come to Rahab's house, and they think, well, why here? Well, maybe because we'll find out later that she lived in the wall of the city and that provided easy access in and out of the city. Perhaps that's why. Perhaps while they were in the town square, they heard that she was sympathetic, maybe, to what they deemed as their cause. Or maybe they just thought that no one would bat an eye at two men entering a prostitute's house. What we do know is this. God led these two spies to the only person in this entire city who would have hid them. You ever show up somewhere and feel like God had paved the way before you got there? See, God had promised them the land, and he was going to make a way, and he uses the most unexpected person to do that. Rahab, the prostitute. Well, it tells us here as the story continues on in verse 2, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel came over here tonight to search out the land. I read this, like, these are some horrible spies. Men of Israel came tonight to search out the land. They've probably only been there but a few hours. The spies were discovered. Not only did they know there were spies in the land, but they knew where they were hiding. They got to watch some Jason Bourne or something, man. I mean, this is a horrible job. They just show up in the city. They find out that they're spies. They stick out like a sore thumb, and they know where they're hiding. So the king immediately says, Hey, let's go to the house of Rahab and capture these guys. And here's what happens. 
Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Listen here. Rahab has the reputation of a prostitute, a low person on the totem pole of society. She has everything to gain and nothing to lose by turning those guys in. She could gain a new reputation, perhaps, as someone who helps save the land. Maybe she could get some monetary reward. Here's cash money for turning into spies. She had everything to gain and seemingly nothing to lose by turning those guys in. But on the flip side, she seemed to have nothing to gain and everything to lose by hiding them. If they found those spies in her house and she lied about it, what would happen to her? Execution immediately. Rahab had everything to lose by hiding them. See, family, genuine faith produces extraordinary actions. We do things that seemingly don't make sense to the world around us when our belief is in Jesus sometimes. What does Rahab do? Well, verse 4 starts with the word but, which is a contrasting word. They ask for the slave, for the spies, but what does Rahab do? But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Why would she do that? And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she hides them, and then she lies to protect them. But she, in verse 6, had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid, on, laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. She hides them, she lies for them, and then she sends out the guards. Just what if the guard said, you know, okay, let's take a look around first. What if the guards said, okay, but, but give us a moment here. But on the other hand, the guards are thinking, why would she hide spies? There's no reason for her to do it. And so they believe this woman with a horrible reputation, and they go pursuing these spies. And before we move on, there's a, there's a problem here, right? Was that okay? She straight up lied for them. Was that okay? And I, I want us to hear two things here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because that's not the point of the story. We do know the scripture tells us that lying is not what God wants us to do. Ephesians 4.25 says, put away falsehood. Colossians 3.9 says, do not lie to one another. Proverbs 19.9 says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. So we know God wants us to be truth tellers. But we also know that if we fast forward into Hebrews 11, there are two women mentioned in that chapter, and that chapter is known to be the hall of faith. Some of the most greatest examples of faith throughout the Bible, and lo and behold, who is there? Hebrews 11.31, Rahab, by faith, gave a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, there's some 
things we do know and don't know. And we, we do know that God doesn't want us to lie. We also know that God rewards Rahab's faith. God never condones the lying. He, he never said it's okay, but there's a lot of silence there because that's not the point of the story. But we do know this, that in this case, Rahab, a woman of faith, deemed it right in this life-threatening circumstance to conceal the truth, to protect the spies. But the question is, why would she do this? A woman who had everything to lose, why would she lie for men that she had just met? Let that sink in for a moment. Why would she do that? Why would she put her life on the line? Well, the answer to that question is why we know Rahab went all in with her faith. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And I think this might be before they lay down and she hid them, or before they lay down waiting for enough time to pass before they left. But she came up to the men on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Not a hint of doubt in this woman's mind. Why? She says, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, what? Melt away before you. Notice the word. They melt. The same word that was used of the Jewish people when their hearts melted 40 years earlier. She's saying, our hearts are the melting ones now. Why? Well, verse 10 says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts, what? Melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. I just love this. She says, we heard about this. It's fascinating is that Rahab is the only person in Jericho to hear and believe beautiful. She heard a story that happened 40 years earlier. You see, it's been 40 years since God parted the Red Sea. It's been 40 years since he destroyed and devoted to destruction the kings of the Amorites, King Sihon and Og. But she believed what she heard, though it had been 40 years removed. Well, what did God do with those two kings? Well, King Sihon, as God's people were leaving Egypt, after God had parted the Red Sea, they walked on dry land They're traveling towards the promised land, and they come to this place where this king, Sihon, owns the region. And they ask him, hey, can we walk through your land? No harm, no foul. We're just going to walk through. There's nothing. We're going to mind our own business. We're we're going somewhere else. We just got to pass through here. And that king says, no. And then he arrays his army, and God says, I'm going to give you, Moses. I'm going to give you that army. And they devote them to destruction. And the same thing with the next king, the next town over. And Rahab's like, I heard about that. I heard about that. And so because of this, 
she made a courageous decision. See, the, the, the truth of the matter is there are times in our lives when the guards knock on your door to see the genuineness of your faith. There are times in your life where, where something knocks on the door of your heart and says, where is your allegiance today? How firm is your faith? What do you believe? Will you be strong and courageous for your God, or will you shrink away in shame? And this week I was so encouraged. I talked to a brother on the phone, and I just want to give out all the glory for what he told me. The brother we've been praying for for a job opportunity. This opportunity was a, one that he knew was going to be a really nice one, but he didn't know the details of the job. And he called me and said, hey, Eric, um, I just want you to know that I was offered the job. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to give me a significant pay increase. And I was like, man, this is good news for him. He says, but the problem is I got to work Sundays. And then he offered me another position, and it's going to be working nights, and I won't be able to see my family. So I just need you to know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn down both jobs. I just told his brother, I said, man, that's a courageous decision. That's a decision informed by your God-given convictions. He said he didn't want to neglect his family, and he had an opportunity to turn it down. I know some of us don't have that opportunity, so hear what I'm saying. But he says he called the company to turn it down. He called me later that day. He says, you know what the, the man on the other line told me? He says, he says, wow, that's a courageous move, the guy told him. He said it takes courage to stay committed to your family and God. Man, I was like about to cry hearing that from that brother, and I know he was feeling the same way. See, our commitment to God is going to be challenged. It's going to be challenged in a variety of ways, and for him, he felt like this was a challenge to his faith and his convictions. And again, this was, this was something that God was doing in his life. And I felt like in the most tangible ways, God met this brother and his family saying, you've done well, you've done well. What are the things, what are the decisions in your life that your faith needs to inform what you do. For Rahab, it came knocking on the door in a life and death circumstance. But she knew what she heard about this God. And she would not shrink away. Amazing. There are three things I want to emphasize in this story here. The first one is this. Rahab's story proves something to us. It proves that no one is out of the reach of God. You ever felt like you were there? God could redeem the unredeemable. God can restore what seemed to be unrestorable. God can reach those who seem unreachable. And maybe you're here today and you feel like that's who you are. You feel like you are beyond God's reach because of the decisions you've made, because of things done to you, because of different things in life, and you feel like I am out of God's reach, and you must look at this story and say this Rahab had faith in God, and God used her. Let me do that for you. There may be people in your life that you've been praying for for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, and you feel like you've not made an inch of progress in them believing that Jesus died for them. Paul says we ought to pray with perseverance. 
a nobody out of God's reach. And Rahab proves that for us, family. Not only does it prove that to us, but also persuades us. Rahab heard about God. It's very likely that she heard about the real God from pagan people. She heard about the real God from people who didn't believe him. But somebody saw the Red Sea part and told someone to tell someone to tell Rahab. Somebody watched Israel take down the kings of the Amorites and told someone else who told someone else who told Rahab. Somebody spoke up, and it was probably someone who didn't love the God of Israel. How much more so those who've seen God at work in their own lives speaking up and telling someone. Let this story persuade you to open your mouth, family. Psalm 105 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. What? Make known his deeds among the peoples. The psalmist says, Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Church, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been pulled from the mud. You've been picked up when you fell. You've got a story to tell. Let this persuade you so that someone like Rahab in your life hears of it, puts their faith in Jesus, and does some extraordinary things that don't make sense to our world because they believe in Jesus. Because you opened your mouth. See, remaining silent steals the opportunity for God to be glorified through your lips. And oh, what a joy when you see God honored through your lips. Man, don't be too busy to seize the gospel opportunities. Don't be afraid to open up with the gospel opportunity. Don't be too busy. Don't be afraid of being called a fanatic. Be persuaded to open your lips. The story proves to us that God can transform anybody. The story persuades us to open up our lips. And this story points us to Jesus. Man, this has been rocking me. You see, as, as Rahab has a conversation with these spies and they're getting ready to leave, she's like, hey, promise me that you're going to protect me. She, she says, promise me. I, I took care of you. And the, the spies are just like, we got you. We're going to protect you. They said, only if, though, you don't tell anybody about what happened here. She says, I agree. Look in verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. Look at verse 18. Behold, this is the men speaking to her. When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, in all your father's household. They said, when we come to this city and we see that red cord, that scarlet cord hanging from your window, we would know that all who are found in that place have a refuge. We fast forward several thousand years and we see the scarlet blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, shed on the cross and all who are found in him have a refuge. See, we can't stand by the merits of our own faith, but on the merits of what Jesus has done for us. Like an infomercial, hold on 
there's more. Joshua 6.25 tells us that Rahab was rescued, and we'll talk about this a few Sundays from now, but it says that she lives with Israel to this day. That is the day of the writing of this book of Joshua. But hold on, there's more. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, and we see the lineage of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 5, we see these words, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, you got to know who Boaz is. He's the father of Obed. Well, who's Obed? Well, he's the father of Jesse. Who's Jesse? He's the father of King David. Who's King David? He's the one that God gave a promise saying, through your children will all the world be blessed. Through you, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will redeem people from their sin. And his name is Jesus. Who's Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother? Rahab the prostitute. Man, give it up to God. Family. God's working a story. Rahab was a Gentile, a non-Jewish woman who had a reputation that that was down on the bottom. She, She gets married to an Israelite becomes the descendant of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And it's through her great-great-grandson that you can be saved from your sins. That Jesus lived a perfect life. That Jesus performed many miracles. But the greatest of them all is when that Jesus went to that broken, bloody cross. It was that Jesus who was whipped and tortured and nailed. It was that Jesus who said from that cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It was that Jesus who says, it is finished and gave up his spirit. It was that Jesus who was in a tomb for three days. It was that Jesus, Rahab's grandson, who rose from the dead after three days and put his enemies under his feet. Is that Jesus that sin couldn't hold down, death couldn't hold down? Is that Jesus who offers to you when you believe in him forgiveness and eternal life? Is that Jesus? Is that Jesus who's telling you and me who believe in him to be all in with our faith? I love this story. An unlikely hero. Nobody in this room is unredeemable, and no one in your life is unreachable. This proves it. But let's persuade you to be about God's message. You've got to tell people what God has done for you, what he's doing among us. And you've got to point them to Jesus, Rahab's grandson, through whom all who put their faith in him are redeemed to have eternal life. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sing it with me. I have decided, sing it, fam, to follow Jesus. I have decided. To follow Jesus. No turning back. Yeah. Mm. Father in heaven, Rahab looked 
the test of her faith in the eye and was courageous. God, I pray that we today would not leave cowardice. God, it's beautiful that she's the one who's strong and courageous. And through your son, Jesus Christ, you can do the same for us. Lord, for any who are here today who don't know about this Jesus, who've never lived for him, never put their faith in him, God, may today be the day of salvation. God, as we have prayer counselors come in a moment, may those, may those people who don't know you come up and ask to receive Jesus Christ in their lives. Father, for my brothers and sisters who maybe have been cowardless in their face, faith, have been afraid to share it, maybe they've given up on someone, God, may today be a new spark in their heart. Lord, be glorified, God, please. God, we're all Rahab. And none of us are out of your reach. Do what we pray, Lord. We give you all the glory because you alone deserve it. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen.